0: Hi and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for two thousand years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith to discuss the topic of Christ's resurrection and Christ's death. And we want to get into many different um, areas because these are all both such uh, rich areas, both in theology, but also because they are. These cosmic events that happened in time, but yet we're still feeling the the consequences, the good effects from them. We still receive our salvation from those events that happened in time. And so, there's so much to cover here, uh, and we want to pick out some things uh, to to maybe continue on in our Easter season. Um, not that we should just you know leave all meditation and thinking and praying aside in the Easter season that we that we did so well with in Lent. Um, but we want to continue those things, but they do take a different focus, where I think it is important to de- continue that meditation, particularly on Christ's uh, resurrection. And what exactly does that mean, and what, is it, what does it mean f- uh, for us and our salvation? We do this so that we can uh, understand it better, and we understand it better so that we can enter into that mystery in prayer and in love and in all the virtues. Um, so, Dr. Smith, to get us started today, let's, when, we're, when we're talking about Christ's death, um, there's there's many different theories of, of maybe you know why Christ had to die, why Christ did what he did in his mm-hmm. um, in his crucifixion. Um, you know, maybe you know, looking at you know the breadth of, of Catholic theology, you know, where where can we draw maybe some high points in, in our understanding of the death of Christ? Yeah, so
1: it's a a big and an important topic. I mean, obviously, um, you know, just thinking about uh, tritium. And you know beginning now of Easter season um, it's uh, timely. So one of the reasons I'm, I'm going to just focus on what Saint Thomas has to say about it because that's what I, I know the best. Um, so Saint Thomas covers these sorts of topics most directly in the tertia pars that is the third part of the Summa theologia um, And in that part, right he talks about, uh, he brings up the question of whether it was necessary for Christ to suffer, right, mm-hmm. the passion, in order to deliver the human race. Now, uh, as a good scholastic, uh, Saint Thomas begins by making a distinction. He says, <laughs> it depends on what you mean by necessary. <laughs> right? And so, absolutely speaking, no, it wasn't necessary. God, you know, God, uh, God did not have to save us actually, yeah, um, uh, from our sins, and that's something that people sometimes uh, neglect. Um, And uh, There's a variety of qualifications you could put on it, but given that – given certain things, it was necessary, right? Mm -hmm. So um, given that God wanted to redeem uh, mankind and redeem his people and given that uh, he wanted to do so in a way that fulfilled justice and mercy, um, then it was necessary. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean it had to be in keeping with his perfections.
1: Um, that's right his perfections. You know. that's right, yeah, yeah, I mean it was fitting that it be so. It showed forth right the goodness of God in its full sort of spectrum, right, which is difficult for us to handle, I think, right, uh, and rightly so, right, yeah, uh, the goodness of God is uh beyond our our full comprehension and and oftentimes we you know we try to reduce it in one way or the other, maybe in other ages we've tried to reduce it to simply God's justice, maybe in our own time we try to reduce it simply to God's mercy, um Rather than seeing that that mercy and justice are, are are manifestations, right, of this deep, incomprehensible, infinite reality that is God, right? Um, but you know, for Thomas, right, we always he always wants to keep that in view, right? And so, um, you know, if we're going to, you know, given that God has decreed that um, man will be saved and man will be saved uh, in a way that's Fulfills both justice and mercy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, then we can say uh, that the passion uh, of Christ was necessary. Now, in the background here, of course, is the idea, and you know, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with this, um, and we don't want to get into too much detail. But in the background is the idea that Christ is, by his very ontological being, is mediator, right? Right. Uh, and the mediator between uh, uh, God and man. That's in virtue of his the ontology of, of the incarnation. Right. So given that, you know, uh, he is, uh, the divine person with a human nature and a divine nature, he is by his very being mediator of man. Also, interestingly, <laughs> and importantly, head of both the human race and head of the church. Uh, and so he has what's called Thomas calls the grace of headship with respect to the church. Um, so, uh, you know, Christ has this, you know, e- enormous, uh, um, sort of cosmological significance sure. uh, with respect to the whole human race, but also uh, with respect to the church. So with that in the background, because you could say, well, why does Christ dying, right? How, how does that help any situation? <laughs> That's always, I think, a key point, right? It's like, why yeah. Why the cross, right? Dying on the cross. What's What's up with that? And, um, you know, it, it makes some sense. Well, it begins to make sense if we have in view, right, that Christ is the mediator between God and man. right. Right. Um so the uh the way Thomas addresses this this is it again in the third part of the Summa, question forty six, article one. Uh he says, I'm gonna just read here and we'll include include, include this quote uh in the show notes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh so this is the uh in the body of his uh reply, whether it was necessary he says, yeah, uh, yet it was necessary from the necessity of the in proposed. And this can be accepted. In three ways. First of all, I'm just gonna focus on the first one. First of all, on our part, who have been delivered by his passion, according to John, the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him may not perish, but may have everlasting life. And then in the th- reply to the third objection, he fills this out. He says, That man should be delivered by Christ's passion was in keeping with both his, that is God, his mercy and his justice. With his justice, because by his passion, Christ made satisfaction for the sin of the human race. And so man was set free by Christ's justice and with his mercy. For since man of himself could not satisfy for the sin of all human nature, as was said above, God gave him his son to satisfy for him, according to Romans chapter 3, being justified freely by grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath proposed to be a propitiation through faith in His blood," end quote. That's a powerful passage, I think, yeah. and a fairly clear passage about uh, the way uh, Thomas, Saint Thomas, sees uh, the work of Christ um, in the Passion.
0: Yeah, and I and I love, and I know Saint Thomas. You know, he's not just you know making this up on his own. I mean, he's drawing on Anselm here. Um, sure. And and you know, I found. I mean, I remember in my own theological study the first time I read. Uh, Saint Anselm's "Why God Became Man," uh, it was it was like one of those like aha moments, you know, or at <laughs> least for me, sure. you know, it, you know, which is why I, which was, which is why I, I get I get sometimes offended when people when people talk about uh, uh, catechesis and well we need to focus on relationship with Christ and not all the heady stuff. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. That heady stuff being true, sometimes that truth can have an effect on your soul. That's like, right, you know, right. and, and, yeah, especially and for me,
1: given, given it's being true, right, <laughs> right, right.
0: And something like, you know, why did God become man, you know, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's a huge thing, you know, uh, answering mm. and answering that question. I found uh, uh just great joy, you know, when I, you know, when I read it, but it is, you know, because he is both, both God and man, uh not mm. only can he, um, you know, make the satisfaction on the part of us because we were the ones, you know, who, who destroyed god's plan or messed it up at least uh um and at the same time he's god and so he actually has the power to restore the plan to restore humankind uh to um uh to god the father now i know i'm making it over simplistic there um uh but i think that uh, but i think that's i think that's huge for people to understand that you know we don't simply uh um kind of just think of you know Jesus becoming one of us is a nice thing to do. Is kind of a right. commiseration right. or something like no. It, right, it, like yes. there's there's something metaphysically uh, there uh, in the way that he did it, uh, in, in the way Absolutely. that he took away our sins and made uh, that satisfaction uh, back to God. And I think it's one of those things, especially in, in catechesis, uh, that that is so helpful to to understand because it puts so much, it puts so much of everything else into, into focus and to an alignment mm-hmm. in our own, I think, thinking. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and so maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, cause sometimes it seems today that, that we, we, when we talk about salvation or we talk about Jesus dying for our sins, we, we maybe, or at least a tendency to avoid the, under, the, the, the understanding of God's justice. Uh, sure. Because it sounds mean, it sounds like Old Testament, God. and you know, we're in the New Testament, so you know what I mean. Like, sometimes, we yes, get into that. yes,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, really, this is this shows sort of the pathetic state of a lot of uh contemporary theology and catechetics that something sounding mean, yeah, is basically refutation of it, right? So, um, so the uh, yeah, there's a lot here uh, to be said, so um. In the big picture, right, and we, we've addressed this before, but it's worth returning to over and over again. You know, we need to understand um, something about our relationship to God in the sort of metaphysical sense, right? right. That is, we are God's creatures, um, and we live in God's world. Uh, God exercises authority over us, and we and, and he is our ultimate end. Um, and so in that framework, right, we owe to God perfect obedience, Mm -hmm. Um, not sometimes, not a little, but perfect. That is complete obedience, uh, reverence, worship, and adoration. We obviously fail to do so, uh, from Adam to now, right? Right. Uh, and one of the classical things to say about sin, there's a lot of things to say about sin, important. There's a lot of, uh, things that, that are true to say about sin, um, in terms of the fact that sin, you know, um. Uh, you know, impoverishes us, misdirects us, disorients us, all of that's completely fine to say. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that we must also say about sin is that it's a violation of God's law. And as a violation of God's law, it's just for God to punish us. Mm -hmm. That is, sin deserves to be punished. Right. And that that's not, and that's a, um, that might be sort of a physical evil in a sense, Using the word "physical" in a broad sense, sure, but is actually a, can be a more is a moral good that is when the authority um, inflicts punishment upon a malefactor and it's it, justly right. It's an act of justice and therefore it's good, right? Um, and so that that's you know a common view of Saint Gregory the Great, uh, Saint Augustine, Saint Thomas Aquinas. It's spelled out explicitly in the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Um, it's in Saint Alphonse Lagouri. It's in uh, Saint yeah, Robert Bellarmine. Pretty much I mean, everything. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, I mean, well, I, I you know, I, I'm piling up there on purpose because it's so eclipsed now, right? We, we just people just fall over when yeah. they hear this thing now, as if you know you're speaking some sort of foreign language or something. Uh, but, but it's not right. This is this is uh, this is not the only element, right? But it is an essential element in the picture. So when you have all of that in mind, right you know Saint Anselm talks about this, and Thomas picks up on this conversation from Anselm but also others that um uh, uh that there's a debt of punishment uh, debitum puenum right that is owed right to for the for sin for violating God's law we cannot pay that uh and so this is what Christ pays on our behalf mm-hmm. right um so that's what it means by satisfaction here, right? In this, in this quote I read from uh, Question 46, Article 1, Reply to the Third Objection, Christ makes satisfaction for us. One time I gave a presentation uh, about, um, the, um, about the mercy of God and the justice of God coming together in uh, the cross, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you really want to see here, right? And that's the way St. Thomas is describing it. God's justice demands that there be satisfaction for the debt of sin. In God's mercy, he supplies uh, He supplies the remedy, the sacrifice, right? I mean, this yeah. is something that has been picked up on over and over again in, in reference to the uh, provision of the lamb in uh, Isaac being taken up onto uh, the mountain, right? right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. The God himself provide mercifully, right, uh, for the needed sacrifice. So here in the cross, right, we can see there is an important part here that you you asked me to address about justice, right? Um, That doesn't rule out mercy, right? Right, right, right. God in the cross meets and satisfies and exemplifies both his justice uh, and uh, his mercy.
0: And and it's important not to equate the two either because I've heard that as well. God's justice is his mercy. No, it's not. Um, Is his mercy his justice? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you put it the other way, it sounds a lot different. It sounds so mean. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, mean, I I think that's you know I think that's I I think that's good. And I think that's something to remember that you know an act of justice is a good thing. You know, and that's easy to see in you know like our our you know normal court system. But I think it's when we apply it to our own sinfulness. Sometimes we we want to be I don't know little easier on ourselves, or a you know little, perhaps but i don't know yeah i think
1: that, i think that i think that that's true we do want to be easier on ourselves but i believe that there is a i mean john henry newman talks about this about the conviction that we feel in the heart right yeah. um over sin and I, I think that there is something about that that kind of deep inside of us there is a an uh, appropriate dread right uh You know, uh, in the sense of, oh, my, there is God and I'm a rebel. (laughs) Right. Right. Which means that I'm in a bad position. Now, there is also a deep yearning for God there as well. But there is an appropriate dread there in the sense that, you know, I I know that I'm not fit. Uh, I know that I am a sinner um, and I know that I I, I deserve uh, uh, punishment. Um, Of course, the good news is God doesn't leave us there. right? Right. Go ahead.
0: Well, well, I was gonna say, and the the amazing thing about that is that it is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. Sure, mm-hmm. you know, fear mm-hmm. of God. It, it's not right. wonder and awe; it's fear of God, um, mm-hmm. which which I think is so important. And I and I always I don't like when when we when we change that to wonder and awe because I think we lose that fear of God. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessary that we're afraid of God as this big, bad, mean Old Testament God or something like that. But, but that, but that the, the, the fear of God is a recognition of uh, that that uh, we are guilty of our sin, and sure. so we're afraid yeah. to pay the consequences of our sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, right, so. Right. I mean, it's not necess- It's more of a fear of the the, the power that God has given me uh, right, uh, right. that through my own actions, through my own uh, thoughts, uh, uh, I can completely turn away from God and break off that relationship. Um, sure. Yeah. That's and something that we should be of afraid of.
1: Is, that's right. Yeah. In fact, the conviction of sin is good. Right. Yeah. It's healthy. It's helpful. Right. It should it should drive us to compunction and to reform and to repentance. Um, and those are those are worthy things right? that we should all, uh, um, you know, uh, esteem. Now, I do want to uh, sort of clarify here that that this approach does not uh, necessarily um, is not identical to what sometimes is called uh, penal substitution.
0: Right. right, right.
1: So in contemporary debates, you'll hear this sometimes. Uh, so this, this is a, a view that was in particular developed by the reformers, um, by Martin Luther and, mm-hmm. and, and John Calvin and, and subsequent, uh, Protestant theologians. But the, um, the idea that, that, that God, that Jesus suffered, uh, the wrath of God on the cross. Right. Mm-hmm. So that in that sense, he was our substitute, um, for receiving our punishment, mm-hmm. right? Now, I'm going to go ahead and say, I, I think that this view gets caricatured in a bad way sometimes. I think there's a lot of biblical language, frankly, that if you read it straightforwardly, um, thinking of passages from Isaiah, passages from uh, St. Paul, that kind of sound a little bit like that, sure. right? I mean, you know, he, he bore our iniquities. I mean, like, there's, there's some language there that I think supports that, Um At the same time, I think it it probably goes too far in the other direction, right? So I think there's a a variety of ways to address the cross, to address the issue of atonement. Mm -hmm. I think there are a variety of good ways to do it. Um, But uh, I think penal substitution is, is misdirected in the sense that Christ ends up being punished in it by God, right? Right. And I think that's not really correct, right? Because Christ is innocent, right? Uh, And and so Christ shouldn't receive punishment himself. Satisfaction theory is a little different, right? That is what was developed by Anselm. And then, you know, there's there's various nuances you could find in Bellarmine or Aquinas or so forth. Uh, But there's a – sometimes it's called vicarious atonement. Right. The basic idea, right, is that Christ as priest, as head of the church, as mediator, and as a head of man, offers his suffering on the cross in a priestly way to God the Father as a satisfaction for the debt of sin. So there what you have in view is more the priestly offering by Christ of himself uh, and his suffering for his people rather than sort of receiving the punishment. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, kind of in, um, it sounds very similar to maybe like the the distinction between the ascension and the assumption. You know, one is under own's own power. You know, the ascension of Christ is under his own power, whereas Mary was assumed Mm. that was under Mm. God's power. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas this seems to be like, you know, no, Christ freely offered himself, it wasn't mm-hmm. this kind right. of, uh, uh, like you said, receiving of, of God's wrath poured out on him uh, as, that's a, right. as a punishment.
1: But I, that's right. But I do want to say one thing that
0: what's still in view here
1: is uh, one of the things that's in view here, right, is justice, right, right? the debt of punishment, uh, the idea that God's law must be satisfied. That's still in view here. That's an important part that gets dropped out. Sure. The way this works dialectically often is – People hear about penal substitution; they reject it, and so they reject everything, every account of the cross that has to do with justice. And that's that's just misguided and a non sequitur, yeah. uh, kind of a false dilemma. Uh, we can satisfaction theory actually addresses uh, the idea that what we have is a problem with God's law and, and a problem with justice, and that, and that Christ's cross does satisfy that. It doesn't satisfy it in a substitutionary way, but in a sort of uh, a, a vicarious. Atonement sort of form. Um, does that does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think it also, you know, I I think it also stems from, I mean, just you know, modern Christianity uh, in whatever denomination. I mean, the the the, the complete lax application of yeah. God's law across the board. Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking sure. about you know in this situation, but I think kind of just you know the the whether it's just an we're, we're not emphasizing it or or what it is or just we just ignore it. That, that mm-hmm. through that I mean this kind of just get, falls in place with the rest of God's laws, right? Right. right. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now I also want to say I think
1: that there are other good ways of talking about the cross, in addition to satisfaction theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, but I think this is a necessary element. So I think it's fine. And Saint Thomas talks about this. You know what are what are some of the you know different effects. Uh, of the passion, he talks about you know deliverance from the power of the devil. He talks about you know Christ meriting uh, uh, the the highest possible degree of glorification and exaltation. So I mean, there's a lot of things that you can add in here, and I think they're all helpful and wonderful. But I think this needs to be a part of the part of it as well. In fact, I think it's essential.
0: The the, the catechism makes clear that you know when you read scripture, especially with Christ I mean everything he does and says teaches us right. you know and that's one of yeah, the reasons yeah. for the incarnation is uh, uh is yeah. to show us uh uh how to live to show us the way you know and and
1: well one of the things that's really awesome actually in St Thomas's uh discussion of the tertiary parts which I think is the, the part on the life of Christ, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people spend time on the third part when they're looking at the the incarnation. But the part where he goes to the life of the Christ actually is really great and sometimes neglected. But in there, he talks about the way in which every action of Christ actually merited eternal life, right? And that we become uh, the beneficiaries of that when we're united to Christ. So it's not just in his passion, but in his
0: whole active life. Right. And, and that, that aspect of unity is key to understanding... Mm-hmm uh, salvation, uh, period. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. even when we talk about, um, the sacraments and even, you know, the idea, we don't have to get too deep into it, but even the idea of salvation outside of the church, um, that, you know, well, what is, you know, what does baptism do? Baptism really unites you to Christ. And that's why the Mm -hmm. church says baptism is necessary. So this union with Christ, like you said, brings in, you know, airship, Uh, um, sure that that that's that's what brings about salvation and so christ becomes our brother Um, but even like the the idea that you know what is baptism really unites us you know and Mm -hmm. that is the sure way to salvation that we know of and so that's what we preach and that's what we do now is god bound to now is god bound to the sacrament of baptism to bring about the effect of unity to christ no, but at the same time, salvation only happens through union with Christ. Union with Christ is uh, um, uh, can never be separated from union with His Church. You know, therefore, there's no salvation outside of the Church. But it all, you know, that, that idea of understanding that union with Christ it's 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 at the center of so much of what Catholics believe that I think it's important uh, uh, to to really grasp that aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where you know we we call Christ our brother, not in any sort of equivocal sense, but we become heirs with him you know sure yeah 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 that's important I think
1: uh underneath a lot of um uh, of things here that that uh in in christ's work and uh, in his in his active life in his passion and then also in his resurrection uh is this idea of union with christ um that's you know in a lot of ways this is something i've uh, sort of been just paying more attention to over the last five, six, seven years in my own studies of St. Thomas. But there's a real, um, I think, rich uh, exploration in Thomas on union with Christ. Sometimes this comes up in just in terms of kind of the imitation of Christ in a moral sense. And I think that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I mean, it's not just okay. It's great. Um, But I think there's something more than thinking about union with Christ, uh, as a ethical kind of thing.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: Uh an ethical kind of imitation. Uh, because the truth is none of us are gonna, have, you know, imitate him ethically perfectly, right? Yeah. Uh you know, so what what's really at stake here, I think, more fundamentally, is a kind of metaphysical union with Christ within the covenant of salvation and redemption. Um and so when you think about sort of redemptive history as a whole, um, you know, um our the way Saint Thomas talks about it is that we are united to Christ uh, through um, an act of charity combined with faith and hope,
0: mm-hmm.
1: moved by grace. And when we when we are united to Christ in that way, then we become the beneficiaries of His work, His His active life. We become a beneficiary of His work on the cross and a beneficiary, an actual active. Full beneficiary of his resurrection, so all men, you know, by being human, are potentially, potentially benefit right um, from uh, Christ, uh, you know, incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. Uh, we can talk about. I like this distinction. People don't like it anymore, but I like it between objective and subjective redemption. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I like it because it's clear. I think other people don't like it because it's clear.
0: <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. Well, uh, when yeah, and objectively, we can say yeah, all men ahead.
1: are saved in the sense that God has made, through the work of Christ, available, right, uh, salvation to all, right. Um, uh, you know, uh, in the sense that we can be united to Christ, um, but only those are actually, right, redeemed.
0: Yeah,
1: who, uh, that is subjectively in their person and their being, right, individually who actually grasp onto uh, Christ through faith, hope, and charity, uh, and through grace.
0: Yeah, and this is easily understand, uh, understandable when we look at just the simple phrase, God is love. Okay, can love be forced on somebody? No. We, can, we have another word for that, you know, and it's actually a crime. That's, <laughs> uh-huh. that's not what God's love is. God's love always waits for our yes, our fiat, uh, um, and so you know, just that, that, that idea of objective. I mean, it's, it's right in front of our face. Uh, mm-hmm. It's within our, w- within our grasp, not that we grasp at it, but mm. it, it, God makes it so available to us that all we have to do is cooperate with it. Um, but mm. it's never forced on us. You know, it's not this, and that, and that's where, you know, the subjective side comes in right. that it right. is something that we have to humbly receive. Uh, mm-hmm. it's not something that, you know, like, you know, a universalist or something like that, uh, sure. in the end, we're all just going to, you know, get, get, you know, kind of caught up in, in heaven and, in that sense, no. mm-hmm. again, yeah. God's love does not force itself. His grace is not, you know, uh, uh, rammed into our hearts, whether we like it or not.
1: Correct. Yeah, sure. Um, and so, uh, when you think about, uh, you know, sort of what's happening at Easter, right. Um both in terms of the passion of Christ and then the death of Christ, right? And, you know, this goes that Pauline language, right? We've been crucified with Christ, right? We, we have right, been buried with Christ and we will rise again with him, right? Uh, so in, in, in that view, St. Thomas directly, you know, talks about the idea that Christ's resurrection from the dead, right, is in fact the efficient and um, exemplar cause Of our resurrection right so we think about the resurrection of the just uh, of those who have been justified Um, then you know what you're talking about right is the idea that that um, Christ resurrect because we're united to him so that's the key here right because we're united to him his resurrection is the direct actualizing principle of our resurrection right, right? Right, right if we're united to him we are bound ba- because he's already risen we are bound to rise ourselves right because of our real union uh, with him we are to use language uh, Thomas's language we are members of his mystical body and as members of his mystical body we are uh, efficiently directly uh, uh, going to be raised with him and glorified with him um, uh, after the final judgment.
0: Yeah, there's a great uh, there's a there's a great quote in uh, uh, in the Catechism with regards to the resurrection in uh, paragraph 648, talking about the the resurrection as a work of the Holy Trinity, and it says mm-hmm. that in it the three divine persons act together as one and manifest their own proper characteristics. The Father's power raised up Christ His Son, and this is the important part here that I want to get to. And by doing so, perfectly introduced his son's humanity, including his body, into mm-hmm. the Trinity. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and that, yeah. that, that brings in, you know, what you just said, that, that it is because uh, of, of Christ's resurrection and then through our union with him. Mm-hmm. And that we can see as the objective and subjective maybe dimensions mm-hmm. of it, that, mm-hmm. that, that we will rise uh, Absolutely. Uh, with Christ. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: that should just be, I, I think, for uh, rise, you know, not just to this life again, right? But rise to a glorious, a glorified life, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, a life in which we have been purified from our sins, from even our inclination to sin, and which will be glorified uh, along with Christ, right? Um, in our new bodies, uh, never to die again, right? right? I mean, you know, I mean, this, uh, that, the, this kind of thing should just, uh, I mean, the church brings this before us, Repeatedly, right each year, it should fill us with just, uh, you know, um, joy and hope, um, even amidst our sufferings. Right, to think that, you know, if I remain in Christ, right, mm-hmm. if I remain united to Christ through faith, hope, and love, through the life of the sacraments, uh, then I have uh, died with Christ, uh, I have been buried with Christ, and I will rise again with Christ. Uh, and that's that's a power. That, I mean, that's the heart man of you know of being christian right
0: yeah and i think even when you take on you know or at least maybe just because i'm a guy i like you know uh battle imagery and you know uh uh, things like that a key point to remember here is that while we are here on earth fighting for victory the only way that we can reach that victory is if we are united to someone who is already fighting from victory uh, and I remember right, somebody sure. telling me that. that yeah somebody told yeah. me that once, and it really just stuck with me that you know mm-hmm. the victory has been won, and you know sure. we, sometimes we sit here and try to try to fight for our own victory uh and mm-hmm. it's it's just gonna simply you know fall aside and we're gonna we're gonna fail but when we unite right. ourselves like you said to uh, uh uh to the one who is already mm-hmm. won to to Christ fights already from that victory and that's the only way that we can win. The only way. sure
1: yeah it's it's been secured for us right we just have to appropriate what's what's been there right we just have to receive right uh what Christ has already won for us I mean that's you know when I said earlier that I think there are other ways of describing the atonement that are uh useful and helpful I really meant it when you think about Christus Victor right which is another way of talking about atonement I think it's a real emphasis on that. I just want to say that we should have all of these things combined. Yeah. And so you're talking about, you know, Christ in victory, Christ has already won, right? Christ is already, uh, you know, uh, resurrected from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the father. Uh, he's already begun his reign. And so, um, uh, and, and he's victorious, right? I mean, the devil's defeated. We're just waiting for the mop up operation. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, and so like, uh, I guess what I would want to just add to those who like Christ's victory right, uh, is is you know part of Christ's victory, right, is his priestly mission of satisfying divine justice, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. You know the the devil in his work to try to corrupt us, one of his strongest weapons, right, is um, the recognition that we are unjust, right? So what 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 does the devil do so often, right? is he tempts us to sin and then he pours out shame right on us and self-loathing, right? Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. when we sin. Now to some degree a certain amount of shame is appropriate, right, right. when we sin. <laughs> but at the same time, right, um what he wants to do is say, see, you're not just, you don't deserve it. You deserve hell, right? Yeah. You just should give up now. That's what the devil tells us, right? And uh and and you know, but if we have a view of Christ's victory that includes, right, the satisfaction of the cross, then in fact, what we can say is, Hey, you know, part of my victory over the devil, over the powers, uh, you know, diabolical powers, part of my victory is the realization and appropriation of what Christ has done for me on the cross.
0: Yeah. And I think that's even within, um, whether it be theology or preaching I think sometimes the ascension kind of gets thrown in there and <laughs> right. it's like, Oh yeah. And the ascension, Oh yeah. There's a now ascension. let's move on to Pentecost. <laughs> but I, but I, but I think the I think the ascension, uh, uh, is so important, uh, w- mm. especially when you're talking about, you know, uh, uh, Christ, the victor. Um, but also when you're talking about, uh, uh, the logos, Christ is the logos, because, you mm. know, when I think about, you know, say like my own relationship with my wife, if my wife says, you know, I love you, honey. And I say, thanks you know that's not an appropriate response that's unrequited love mm-hmm. that that in the divine conversation of salvation uh that the word that is spoken the word that becomes flesh needs to return to the father and it returns right. to the father perfectly in the ascension and so right. the, the I, I think the ascension and and it's also in the ascension where again like we just talked about that Christ takes his place uh, uh at the right hand of the father uh, uh, right. as, as victor, as king, uh, bringing, uh, you know, initiating that kingdom that is here. So, I mean, you know, I also think, you know, we shouldn't gloss over the ascension, you know, is it on Thursday, is it on Sunday? Right. Well, you know, sure. like, let's, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't let it fall through the cracks, you know? Right, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And you can see how all this fits together so nicely. I mean, I think when you, and really how Christocentric it is, right? How centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ, that we can see as a necessary – like I think any theology that doesn't do a good job of explaining the cross doesn't make any sense to me as Christian theology, right? right. I think that uh, the kind of satisfaction of divine justice that we've been talking about, the logic of justice and mercy, does a good job right. of that. I don't think that's the whole picture by any stretch. Right. Uh, I think attached to that, uh, it's embedded in right this view of Christ as our champion, so to speak – Christ as our savior. I mean, right. Savior has that, that feeling to it, but that includes, you know, priest, prophet, and King. Mm-hmm. And in that, in, in that, right. I mean, Christ, Christ is living that glorious redemptive life, right. Not just in its moral character. Sometimes when people will say that, but it, it includes the actual redemption right? <laughs> as a, as a, as a, as a judicial act, not only a judicial act. Right? Yeah. So you have to be complicated here. It is a judicial act. Um, but it's more than a judicial act, but it's at least that, right? And so uh, Christ, in you know, from his incarnation, right, is meriting eternal life, uh, preaching the truth, declaring the coming of the kingdom of God, satisfying uh, God's just wrath on the cross through a priestly offering, right, um, and uh, dying and then rising again and ascending. And if we're united to him, right, all of those things, right, become uh, available to us.
0: Yeah, and that's why, you know, the Paschal Mystery, it includes his passion, mm-hmm. death, resurrection, and ascension. It's kind of, it, it gets wrapped up in, in all of those. And, and one thing mm-hmm. that I, when I, when I, I remember when I first kind of grasped this, I realized, especially in the church's liturgy, mm-hmm. how much that phrase is used, the Paschal Mystery, uh, um, and for good reason, now that I actually understand what it is, you know? It was, you know, and, you know, you're like, oh, wow, the church is really wise in her liturgical norms. And, you know?
1: Yeah. So when we're thinking about the, the the resurrection here, I'm sure that this, that you've dealt with this in your experience as a, as a catechist, right? Is it enough to say that I, I know that Jesus uh, rose because he's alive in my heart today?
0: Oh, gosh, no, no. No. <laughs> Sorry, was that a near occasion of sin for you? us <laughs> well, see, this goes back. Okay, go back. Everybody needs to go back and listen to our previous podcast on the denial of metaphysical realism. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Jason, Jason, are you saying that the resurrection was a historical event? Yes, it really, really happened in real time, in a real world, in a real place. There was a real rock. Yeah, yeah, this this, this whole idea of, of denying the historical... Uh, uh, reality of the resurrection you know uh, you know and and it's not just that they that that gets applied to that i mean and take this for example though mm. let's just say okay what what if that's true well what does that do to christ's death on the cross
1: mm. if the
0: if the resurrection is just a metaphor or it's just a symbolic thing i mean you know, it's kind of like the Eucharist. What if it is? To, you know, in the words of what was it Flannery O'Connor, if it is, if it is just a sign to hell with it by by denying the historical reality of the the resurrection, um, which can leads to the denial of the historical reality of several things, it it, it completely empties the uh, sure. uh, uh, the incarnation of its power, the passion of Christ in its power. And the the resurrection of itself and its power, it didn't really think, yeah, do even, anything,
1: right? Yeah, even for us, right? I mean, yeah. because if you start to say, "Well, look, you know, Christ's resurrection wasn't a historical physical event," then what about our resurrection? Right. Yeah. Right? I mean, if Christ, if Christ's resurrection is, is is the exemplar cause, right? That is sort of the pattern, right? Yeah. For the resurrection of the Christian. Then, well, I think we'd have to the, the the logical thing would be to to conclude that our resurrection is some sort of spiritual, I don't know, non historical spiritual event, uh, which wouldn't include our bodies.
0: Right, right. Well, and and I think it's almost like a uh, an application of uh, of some some of the you know first Christological heresies, uh, sure. um, you know, of of denying you know uh, of, of the importance or even the denial of you know Christ. Okay, he he spiritually resurrected, but he didn't bodily resurrect. You know, I mean, it's almost a denial of his humanity. Uh, Kind of like
1: docetism or something
0: uh, like that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, or what was it? uh, Applinarianism, you know, that Mm, they kind of denied his his humanity in this way that, you know, it's just, no, it's, again, and this is why, you know, St. Thomas is so good because many of these, you know, great theologians and stuff, they take, they look at the whole, they look at the whole picture. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and they ask those questions. So, yes, the the resurrection is a it's a historical event is a it's a cosmic event. It's a transcendent event. It's it's mm-hmm. all of these things. Go read the section on the catechism in that. <laughs> it's very clear. You know, that's,
1: it's 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 really key because, I mean, I remember when I came into the Catholic Church this was more than 20 years ago. Uh, oh. I won't say where, but, you know, uh, in that program, the, the, the priest said, you know, it wasn't a historical event.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah.
1: and uh you know, and the point and and this is not unique to him, you hear this all the time. Well, you can't prove it historically.
0: Yeah, you can. I mean, we have <laughs> we have evidence. We have evidence for it. The New Testament uh, accounts are actually we have more uh, uh sources to the resurrection than we do for, you know, some historical people. You know, uh, uh and so I mean, yeah, it it can be and the 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 church has been clear about it. But I mean, yeah, you also think what does this do to the second coming? You know, well, sure. the second coming is just going to be a, a kind of like a um, like a big tent revival in my heart. You know, like that's not the second coming. It's, you know, the second coming is going to be a real event.
1: The second coming is going to be when we all live in a socialist workers paradise. <laughs> you know. We Just
0: kidding. <laughs> that sounds good. Uh, all right. Well, I hope uh, uh, I hope we've uh, uh, given our audience uh, uh, some some Easter joy, but also something to think about, something to uh, uh, to read about. But but I will I will recommend go read the the, the simple sections in the Catechism on the Resurrection yeah. during this time of Easter. Um, uh, it's very clear. It's very beautiful, and it draws on uh, sources of Catholic intellectual thought. Uh, for the past 2,000 years, uh, and try to keep that going. You know, as we as we go into the Easter season and work towards Pentecost, I think it's a good, maybe a, you know, a good plan is to you know meditate, read about the resurrection, read about His ascension. Then when we go into you know Pentecost, go towards the Holy Spirit, the Church, the mystical body. Uh, yeah, right uh, that yeah. there's there, there's so much there for us to, to keep diving into And like I said in the beginning The more we can intellectually enter into these things The more we can also spiritually enter into them In the liturgy and in our prayers um, And so in the meantime I want everybody to check us out At catholicstudiesacademy.com uh, Click the like button uh, Help us out um, Subscribe to our podcast And also if you know anybody that might be interested In some of these things Feel free, send them our way And send them any of our material Uh, That would be great. So in the meantime, God bless.